help us in our time of need, and we always need you every minute, every hour of every day, and we thank you, Lord, that we do need you. Thank you. We know we need you. That's amazing that we would have that understanding. We know exactly what we need and who we need. So we thank you for meeting every need here on time and nothing missing, nothing broken, everything in peace. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. We're going to talk today about the fact that the blood makes a difference. The blood makes a difference. Amen. And, uh, you know, people may think I talk a lot about the blood. I do. Too much. I do. Guilty on all counts. I do. Uh, because it is why we're here. Without the shedding of blood, there's no Christians. <laughs> there's, there's no remission of sins. Amen. And so we have to honor, respect, plus understand what the blood is for. So the blood makes a difference. It always does. It separates out who belongs to God, who's justified and who's not, uh, who belongs to him and who doesn't. And so we, we need to understand, uh, what, what comes through the power of the blood of Jesus. So if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 11. Amen. God begins to explain to Moses what's going to happen when he leads his people out of the the land of Egypt. Amen. He brings you out to brings you in. <laughs> to bring you into something better, to bring you into promise, to bring you into a place where um, I would say where you're um, increased and enlarged and magnified and made whole and made. It's a better place, but it's in so many different areas. Better is not the best word for it, if you know what I mean, because there is so much that God does. Because the blood makes a difference, amen. It separates us from from the heathen. So anyway, God's speaking to Moses and he tells him in verse 2, Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. Now has God ever told you that? That's what I thought. Y'all trying to think, Uh, let me think. No. If you borrowed it, you had to pay it back. You ain't never borrowed nothing from nobody and left town unless, and if you did, there's some warrants out for you somewhere. Am I right, Poppy? Is that illegal unless God tells you to do it? That's what I thought. So, so anywho, he tells them to go, and the neighbors gave it to him. That's the other reason it's not theft. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill and all the firstborn of beasts. Now, if it's hitting a target and there's no exemptions, amen, 
then if you get exempted, it's because God did something. Got me? Because whatever is going to happen, it's totally infectious on everybody. So in order for you to escape, something different has to be done in your case. You got me? And he says, all the firstborn are going to die. It, it doesn't matter if you're high, if you're low, if you're cattle, whatever it is. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there is none like it, nor shall be any like it more. But against the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue. In other words, nothing is out of order for you. Nothing's aggressive against you. Nothing's going to hurt you against man nor beast that you may know how the Lord does put a difference between Egyptians and Israel. So God puts a difference between his people and people he does does not have a covenant with. And it says, and all thy servants shall come down to me and bow down themselves unto me saying, get thee out and all the people that follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. Amen. And so God is warning Pharaoh and all of his people that tonight it's going to be different. Tonight it's not going to be a plague that's going to go away in a few days or something your magicians can duplicate. Amen. It's going to be God's raw power because God has lingered with you and and, and uh, worked with you long enough that you know that that he is God and he's worthy to be praised and you should bow down and worship him, but you refuse to bow down. And so God terminates his mercy over Egypt that day. And so we know the rest of it. The Passover comes along and and God is able then to carry out judgment against Israel and release his people. This didn't have to happen if Pharaoh had let him go. Amen. All he had to do, and this is true of anything that happens that's, that's not in your benefit. Find out what you need to do to comply with God's rules. Find out what you need to do to get in obedience with him. And whatever it is that's wrong in your life will lift. Amen. Generally, a little confession of your wrongdoing will do it. Isn't that amazing? Just one one word out of your mouth, forgive me, Lord, I'm sorry. That's how everybody gets saved. That's how you stay saved. But it's amazing people forget that's how they got saved. It is a way to know how they stay saved. Amen. <laughs> it's amazing. So God had already <clears throat> given Israel a secure place to live in Exodus 8. In verse 23, you see the mercy of the blood already applied to their lives. Amen. Um, this is, let me see, tells you how when the plagues came on Egypt, when Moses, when God released the plagues through Moses, how Israel fared while uh, the rest of the country was going through difficulty. In verse 16, do we need to go there? Ah, 20. We'll start in, in 20. Now we'll go in 16 because there was some things here that, that we need to understand about how God separates people out a little bit, you know, um, how he did it back in the day. It says, and the Lord said unto Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and, and hit the dust of the land that it may become lice. 
throughout all the land of Egypt. Can you imagine that? And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and hit the dust of the earth and it became lice in man and beasts. All the dust of the land became like became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did the same thing with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magician said unto to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now, this is the thing. When Moses first started his ministry, remember when God tested him, he tested his obedience when he met him in the, the desert. The bush burned. It wasn't consumed. He gave Moses a couple instructions of things to do. And he told him to stretch out his rod. Amen. And he then he told him to throw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Amen. And, and God told him to pick it up by the tail. and He picked it up. It was a rod again. So a lot of people don't really understand this, but I do. Because I've gone through the same test and you have too. Except we weren't in magic, we was in self. See, Moses had to be delivered of relying on his skills and his powers as a magician and a sorcerer. Because that was what he was trained to be. It doesn't really say that in the Bible, but, but people who are scholars understand that. He was mighty in word and deed and all the skills and the arts of the Egyptians. So, and if you're raised in Pharaoh's court, they got to put you to use in fines. And that was a high calling there. Amen. To be in Pharaoh's court and to know times, seasons, how to tell the future, how to tell what was going to happen and how to tap into the dark side and begin to do magic. And this is what Moses was skilled at even after 40 years on the backside of the desert. Amen. Some stuff just don't leave you until God delivers you from it. And so Moses has to be delivered of all of this power uh, because he's still mixing it in. Amen. And so and God knows this. And this is why he has Moses do certain things in the presence of Pharaoh and his magicians, bringing him back to that familiar surrounding that he used to work in all the time. To see if those familiar spirits would show up and help him again. Just like when, when you got saved and, and you got your paycheck. And he tested you to see if you were really going to pay your bills with it. Like he told you. You told him you were going to do if you gave him that money. Amen. Or if you're going to go and do what you used to do with it. And a lot of us are still being delivered. Just saying. So everybody has to go through this deliverance thing. Where you get delivered from the old ways, the old desires, the things you used to do, the things that are comfortable and familiar to you. So this is the last time the magicians are able to duplicate what Moses does. So that must mean that Moses has been delivered of his magical powers that he got through familiar spirits. And now he's clean to work for God. You got it? This has to be done in all of us. You just can't go up and start 
ministering out of your head and, and trying to make people feel good and all this kind of stuff. You gotta stick with the anointing of the Holy Spirit if you have one. You got me? And so everybody's been delivered, being delivered of relying on our old ways, our old things, the old stuff, the flesh. So here, when the, the magicians saw that they could not penetrate that portal that, that Moses had gone through, amen, they were all before, they were all going through the same door. Then God shows up and blocks the door so that Moses can't get in. And Moses obeys God anyway, and he sees that the the Egyptians, the magicians see that they can't duplicate it. That door closed up behind Moses. He can't get in there anymore to use dark powers because now he's a sanctified man. He's got to serve God. So he's got to rely only on the Holy Spirit. And many times, just like in our lives, you got to go back in familiar surroundings to really know you're delivered. Sometimes you get around old friends and they want to go out to dinner. Do you have a drink or don't you? I'm just going to have one. Do you understand what I'm saying? It'll shock you how many Christians drink anyway just to prove to them that So Moses is finally delivered from working in familiar spirits. Amen. Being a magician. All of that stuff. And he said, then in verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh because he's coming down to the water and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon you. And upon your servants and upon your people and into the houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen. He's severing his people off from them in in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end that you may know now that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth and I put a division between my people and your people tomorrow this sign shall be and the Lord did so but in Goshen there was no trouble for God's people amen so it is the blood that makes the difference God can apply the blood in mercy because he has a covenant with us even before we learn how to do that ourselves. Amen. Even even before there was uh, the nation of Israel and God drew the people out, gave them the law and all of that, the blood was always honored. It was a sacrifice was made. And a, a altar was set up so that people would have a holy place, a consecrated place to worship God. And so even though they cannot go out to worship God, God still can give them benefits of the blood by separating them from the other people. Amen. So he separates them out from the Egyptians. Goshen was a safe place for God's people to dwell. It's similar to living in the spirit. In our day, amen, uh, life in the spirit really is our Goshen. 
And with God, we have divine health and continuing uh, daily bread of healing and a protection against all harm and evil. And that's what Goshen was to them. And they were able to stay sanctified and stayed holy because of that blood protection. In Exodus chapter 12, if you'll turn over there, now they they have the uh, people of God, God's people have been separated from the Egyptians, amen, by the, the land of Goshen, and they are going to them to get all of their, have already borrowed all the wealth of Egypt is going with them, because Egypt is about to be destroyed, amen. And so God is always for doing what's necessary and practical. And so the fact that he had his people go and collect the spoils without the shedding of anybody's blood is very, very significant. Because God can do things, um, he can do things any way he wants to. But he decides to bring them out in peace and not in strife. Generally, in order to get that kind of wealth from a whole nation of people, you've got to have a war. You've got to kill somebody and you've got to take it off the dead bodies. But he allowed these Egyptians to remain alive, just cooperate. Amen. Now, why, why would he do it that way? Why do you think he, he did it that way? Say, if I go over to my neighbor and I said, you know, God wants me to ask you to give me some of your stuff over here. Can you let me have that? And they say, yeah, and give it to you. Don't you think God owes them something? He has to bless those who bless us. So he is able to give mercy to the Egyptians who would cooperate. Amen. That's why the Bible says when Moses brought them out, there was a what? Mixed multitude. So there were some Egyptians in that group as well. See, when when Moses said in front of Pharaoh that the firstborn were going to die, if I was sitting there listening, I think, hmm, this God, this is the God that brought all that other stuff. <laughs> he ain't never lied. <laughs> See, you become an instant convert right then and right there. And you got Pete, Pete, and repeat and three Pete at home and you know, you don't want, you love them all. You don't want nobody to be missing. You think, hmm. And so them, them Hebrews come up to your house at the last minute at night asking for stuff. You say, yeah, I got it. <laughs> come on in here and get it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and many of those people left with the Hebrews. Amen. They left with Moses. Some of those neighbors did. And they, when they found out that if they could go into that house and remain all night long and no harm would come to them. And after the death angel passed over, it was over. If you survived the night, you survived the rest of it. Amen. And so when they found that out, there were many of them that went in with, uh, with the children of, of, um, Israel. So where were we at? He, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus 12. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. We were in 13, I think. 12. 
I'll start in 12.1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, as shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. So this is instituted, the Passover. Here's another statute and ordinance for them to follow. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. If the house shall be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next door to the house take it according to the manner. So anyway, none of this lamb was to be wasted. That's very important. Amen. No doggy bag, no leftovers, everything consumed. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Take the blood and strike it on the two side posts, the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with the bitter herbs they shall eat it. So every man, really, this is where we get the the phrase or the term, uh, the the father is the priest of the household. Because that's this is exactly what was instituted in the Levitical priesthood. They salt it with salt, roasted it with fire. It was all consumed except the fat and the parts that God wanted to. You know, God likes a good barbecue. He said, I can't come down there and eat nothing. Let me just smell the smoke. He says, and you shall kill in the evening. Take, take the blood and strike it. Eat the flesh in that night. Roast with fire and unleavened bread with bitter herbs. Thou shalt eat it. Eat it. Eat not of it raw or boiled it with water, but roasteth with fire. So this is a priesthood being instituted. His head and his legs and the pertinence thereof. You shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it in the morning you shall burn with fire. Thus shall you eat it with your loins girded and with your sh- your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, he doesn't want, see when he says eat it in haste, that puts a different purpose to the meal. Usually you have dinner, you want to kick back, put your feet up, invite some people over, you know, get relaxed, have some conversation. That's what God's trying to eliminate. No conversation over this meal. Just eat it in silence. Amen. Eat it. And get up and go. Amen. That's the Passover. And he says the blood shall be unto you. He says um, for I will pass through. Yeah. I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And will smite all the firstborn. Both man and beast. against all the, And against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So God is not doing this to hurt people. He is doing it to show people that he is God. The gods you have been talking about and worshiping and going down to the Nile and throwing your babies in as a sacrifice to that God, that is not the real God. So when the real God shows up, God has to make a difference between people. That is, his people are preserved. The people who won't cooperate 
are not. Amen. And so he says, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. This blood is a token. The blood of Jesus was what? Propitiation payment. Total payment. It is finished. Amen. So there's this blood is temporary. It has to be done every year. The blood of Jesus is once and for all done. Amen. So there's the difference between what they did then and what we have now. And he says, this shall be unto you for a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. You shall keep the feast by ordinance forever. Seven days you'll eat unleavened bread. First day you should put away leaven out of your houses, etc., etc. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. The, uh, to you no matter of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat shall be done. You shall observe this feast every month, I mean every year, uh, forever. Amen. Of course we know it was done away with, uh, with, with when Jesus made his sacrifice at Calvary. In verse 29, it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captive that was in a dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, get up, get you out of here from among my people. Amen. Even the self-same. Um, let me see. Where was I? Oh, I looked up. I lost my place. Verse 31. Is that? Yeah. He said, also take your flocks, 32, and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. Amen. <laughs> On your way out. Yeah. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out. In other words, they want to get rid of these people. You won't let me go voluntarily. The day will come when you'll be glad to get rid of me. Amen. And the people took their dough before it was, <laughs> before it was leavened, their kneading troughs and bound them up and hit the road. Amen. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. Well, see, this will make any congregation straight up and live for God. Amen. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, gold, clothing. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. Didn't kill nobody. Amen. God was the one that executed judgment. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herd and much, much cattle. So really when, when some of the Egyptians, when they heard what was going to happen, sought refuge in the houses of the children of Israel and then more of them when they saw what happened decided they didn't want to stay there anymore amen they couldn't trust being under Pharaoh anymore so you get a lot of converts you know some of them but if we know it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance see they see his goodness to his people 
Amen. Oftentimes we are the witness to the goodness of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, so they're able to go out now and, and, and God has to see the blood. It has to be visible to God. They had to put it exactly where God said to put it. Amen. So if we want to be recognized and, and, and honored by God, He has to see the blood on us. Amen. He has to see we, the way we make the blood evident is be by obeying God. Amen. By living a sanctified life, by living a separated life, all the things that God set for Israel here are transferable over to our lives. We're to live holy. We're to live separate. We're to live differently. Amen. We're not to mix in with the world or mix good with evil, that kind of stuff. We have to live a consecrated life. And that's what God sees and, and he recognizes that. And he leads us in a place of safety. We plead the blood as our defense and our protection. That's how God sees the blood. Whenever we speak of the blood it, in its properties, in a reverential sense, in a sense that that blood was shed for us, we appreciate it. We understand what the blood has done for us. This is our defense. We don't defend ourselves. We let the blood speak for us when we do that then we honor the blood and God sees it and the death angel passes over or the sickness angel passes over the poverty angel passes over all of that passes over us when we make the blood evident in our own lives amen so the blood on the doorposts was the action of faith that needed to be undertaken so that those people could be saved so we we have that same thing. We have to take an act of faith in in establishing the blood as as the propitiation or the 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 um, payment for our sin. We're not here on our own good behavior. Any good behavior we had comes out of what the blood has done for us. You can't be good enough for God to pass you over. You have to stay under His instruction and His protection. So in Psalm 105, verse 37, we see what happened to them during that night. Amen. It says here, he smote in verse 36, he smote all the firstborn in their land, the chief of their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. All of them were, were in good health. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. He spread a cloud for covering to give light in the night. And the people asked, and he brought quails and satisfied them with bread from heaven. He opened the rock and the waters gushed out. They ran in the dry places like a river. The rock actually followed them everywhere they went in the desert. Amen. Just so God, God wanted those people to be peaceful. He wanted to be content. He helped them so much when you think about it. He helps us a lot. You know, I'm not saying that they, you know, oh, you know, they had all that and they still messed up. Yeah, look at what you got and what I have and we still mess up. Amen. But just so they wouldn't murmur and complain about thirst, he allowed the rock to follow them through the desert. Everywhere they went, the rock was there. 
And then the, the cloud was there. Where the cloud stayed, they stayed. When the cloud started to move, they followed the cloud. So the cloud was their shelter from the sun in the daytime. And, and they had a night light. So didn't, they didn't stumble around <laughs> in the dark. Amen. It just, you know, God just loved them and reassured them and cared for them like, just like little, you know, small babies that can't take care of themselves. Amen. And so this is a good thing about God. He brought them out with silver and gold. There was no feeble among their tribes in the desert. He followed them everywhere they went. He brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness. He remembered his holy promise to Abraham, his servant. He gave them the lands of the heathen and they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. So God showed them up front all his goodness just so they would appreciate him and serve him. He never wanted them to get to the place where they hungered, they thirsted, they didn't know what was coming. They didn't, just like he does with us. If if you're a Christian, you should not be living in doubt as to where you're going to stay at night, what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat. What you, you should have all, that all should all be settled in your faith. And you should have evidence every day of the provision of God. There's no reason for people to be out begging. And, and if they belong to God, and you got to be obedient to God. And many times you'll find you start ministering to homeless people. They're so angry at somebody for nothing. You know, holding grudges, mad at people, don't want to forgive. You know, we ministered to a young lady yesterday. And she was saying all this stuff that went on in her house. And I said, well, God expects you. I said, you're Christian. Yeah, you could tell the Holy Spirit was hovering around her. She knows God. But she gonna tough it out. She ain't gonna forgive no. I tried to forgive. I said, oh, you can forgive. I said, God commands that you can do it. He wouldn't expect you to do something you can't do. Then I asked her, I said, can you trust me to lead you in a prayer so that you can forgive these people by faith? Just say the words and mean it in your heart. So you don't have to feel good about anybody. You don't have to feel any kind of way. Just be obedient to God. And so we prayed and God began to reassure her. And I told her, I said, listen, before this day is over, God's going to have you a place to stay. Because she was homeless and she was living with some guy and was scared of him. And I said, were you ready to pray to God now? I mean, what else are you going to (laughs) say? We always praying for open doors. Duh. Walk through it. Amen. So we were wondering if she, Vicky, did she come up to you? That girl that came up to you at the end of the day, did she, was she looking for us? Oh, okay. All right. Cause I was, I said, Lord, I hope she lets Miss Vicky know she found a place. Okay. All right. Well, I believe God. Amen. She, she had no business there. She knew it and she humbled herself and asked for prayer. So that's, that's all God needs folks. And he'll work on our behalf. Amen. He's a good God. Want to see his children out, you know, dangerous and in danger. It's not his plan for us. Amen. So there was not feeble. There were healthy and wealthy. I like that part about God. He takes care of everything. Brought us out with silver and gold. Your feebleness. If you're feeble, you gotta, it's gotta leave you. Amen. You, you declare strength as your days. So shall your strength be. 
Amen. You want to outdo Moses. He climbed a mountain when he was 120. Amen. Amen. Wasn't no 7-Eleven on the corner where he could run to and get him something to refresh himself with. He just went up that mountain trusting God. Amen. Amen. And his eyes were not dim. He didn't have cataracts. He didn't have, you know, nearsighted, farsighted, whatever it is. Amen. He could see very well. Amen. So God brings us out in covenant. It's a guarantee. Amen. That none of this stuff will disturb our lives. And, and, and he wants it that way. He wants to show us his goodness. Amen. So, so when we, uh, we can still apply the blood, we said in a visible way, so that God can see that we are obeying our covenant and, and he wants us to make the right choices in life. So you can choose to stay in covenant with God and obey the covenant, or you can think you have a better way. Amen. You think he's going to, you know, God understands. No, he don't. He don't understand craziness. He don't understand rebellion. He don't understand stupidity. He understands obedience, though. You know, if you obey, he understands that real good. And he'll bless that. Amen. In Deuteronomy 30, <clears throat> God lays down the law for his people to obey. He's had some scattered ordinances and statutes because he would give them the laws they needed to live by as they needed, especially when they were in the wilderness. But then when he he began to speak to them what his heart was and what his laws were, he began to lay down specific laws for specific things. So in Deuteronomy 30, I think it's in verse 15, God says, See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil, in that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, keep his commandments. See, this one thing separates us out more from from the heathen than anything else, is our obedience to all of God's laws, all of his commandments. Amen. And he says, and that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God shall bless you in the land where you go to possess it. God never sends you anywhere to rent forever. I said, God never sends you anywhere to rent forever. Well, all you unbelievers. <laughs> I didn't say you got to be doing it now, but I'm saying his will is anybody in here obeying God perfectly. Then you need to hear truth. You understand what I'm saying? You need to know what the will of God is. That's why we gather together. I'm not here to point the finger at you because you rent. Am I? Huh? Didn't I read the Bible? Yeah, right. Okay. He don't, he don't expect you to rent. I said forever. So get a different mindset on things. Amen. Get a different way of, of looking at things. Get God's way of looking at things. I understand some people are on their way, but that doesn't mean you shut down when you're told that's not God's will for you. You need to receive the word. 
you know, some of us have had property and, and we want to slow down in life. You're older. You don't need the responsibility. That's something different. But you chose not to be an owner. There are some people who think they're not supposed to ever have anything of their own and need to get out of that mindset. You need to own something. You need to be responsible for something. You need to pay taxes on some property. You can start sweating it just like your other property only friends are doing. You understand what I'm saying? Join the club. But that is God's will for you to have ownership. Because you don't know down the line. See, your life changes all the time. Situations change all the time. You know, you might get a, a call in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, your child has been arrested. And you need to get a bail bondsman. They're going to want to know the first thing. What is it? What do they want to know? What do you, do you have a house? And they don't, they don't care about your car. They said, no, we don't take cars. We can get somebody to steal them, get all the cars we want. Huh? They want real estate. Something that's got equity in it. Something that's valuable. Some be cashed in. Amen. And they don't want you calling the relative trying to get them to pony up for you. You should have your own stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? You may need it for things that, that come that you need emergencies that come along. You can pull money out of the equity that's in your home. You understand what it's valuable to you. That's why God wants us to have it. Is it okay if I say that? Okay, I thought so. Get so defensive about everything. Didn't I read the Bible, Poppy? I thought I was reading the Bible. That's what I thought. Okay, all right. So we're good. Amen. But don't put up a wall when the word comes to you. God's trying to penetrate that hard shell. You know, where you don't feel indicted if that's not where you're at right now. You ain't at a lot of places right now. But you should be on your way. You should be on your way. So he says, choose life. So when you, when you hear a scripture says, God wants us to have property and not rent forever, you should say, Amen, I choose life. That's what God speaks for life for us. Instead of trying to put your head down, act like I wasn't saying nothing. Cut that out. Amen. He says, I've set before you this day, day, life and good, death and evil. In that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commandments and statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God shall bless you in the land where you go to possess it. Possess. Take authority. Take charge. But in your heart, turn away so that you will not hear. But if you in your heart turn away so that you will not hear, Everybody that got offended when I say don't rent forever, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods. See, that's the first step to being drawn away, getting offended by something God's provided for you for your good. He knows you don't have everything right now. That's what faith is for, to get you to where you possess it. And he says... I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish. If you won't, if you in your heart turn away and not hear him, 
you start worshiping other gods. And I see, he says, you will perish. That you will not prolong your days upon the land where you go, where you pass over Jordan to go to possess it. He says, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life. Everybody say, Amen. I choose life. So you and your seed may live. There's more involved in this than you. Amen. And where you are right now, what you don't want. I got something better. Whatever. But you are to choose life. That's a smart thing to do. Amen. Amen. Romans 3.21 talks about a righteousness that is given to believers apart from the law. Amen. So this righteousness God has provided to us through covenant. In verse 21, it says righteousness, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Not just the blood was shed for me, but you must have faith in what that blood provides for you. Must have faith in it. Now there are many people who have faith in the blood until they do something wrong. Then they're responsible again. Amen. And so this is what was happening in the early church. They were so legalistic minded that they couldn't let go of that desire to work and to to show God and to prove to God and to let God see what they were doing right and, and ask God, what am I doing wrong? All this kind of stuff. You know, it is if the Holy Spirit lives in you and he is your comforter, your strengthener, the helper. Don't you think he would have said something to you already about? He's not sitting up watching you go over a cliff and letting you go. He'll say, girl, straighten up. Come on here. Let's don't go that way. Go this way. It's like being called led by the spirit. That's why we call it that. So he is there to take, take charge, to warn us, to, to give us that witness in our spirit. That's not something we have to ask him to do. He knows his job and he does it. Amen. So don't get caught up in, oh, I must have done something wrong. What did I do wrong? All that. If he doesn't answer you, just start praising God and tell the devil to quit bugging you. Amen. We sit up there and listen to him all day long and it's a wonder you don't feel good. You're listening to that song. Amen. So, so God, the gift from God is righteousness it is the righteousness that is by faith amen through the redemption and and purchase of our souls out of the powers of darkness it was god's wrath that spoke the curse but god is appeased by the blood see he's not angry at us anymore that's why the curse is broken it does not exist, folks. It can't be levied again. 
anybody putting curses on people are not doing it out of God's power. Amen. It's it's been done away with. Period. The blood annihilated it forever. Amen. Even when Christians get sick, they're not under the curse. They're under ignorance. You understand what I'm saying? Ignorance is not the curse. As soon as you get knowledge and get understanding and put your faith in God, you can pick up your healing. Amen. So the curse didn't operate like that. His blood speaks better things. Amen. And it makes a difference in whether we remain sick or whether we can get healed. The blood is is the difference maker. You put faith in that blood and, and understand that it has atoned for you. It has made things right. It, there's nothing wrong with you. You can walk out of that. Amen. Once you really understand that, that has been shed once and for all and forever to pay for those things and do you good, then, you know, it should be a done deal. Amen. So the Bible says the blood is our propitiation. And that word is, is, uh, um, it really means a sin offering. The word propitiation means sin offering. It also, um, that word refers to the covering of the ark of the covenant that was sprinkled with blood. So it also means mercy seat. So it's, it's your sin offering and your mercy seat. So it's all of that offering wrapped up into one, all of that sacrifice wrapped into one. So when it, it is, when it's translated, Jesus was our mercy seat in verse 25. It says, whom God has set forth to be a mercy seat through faith in his blood. God is not looking for anybody to do him harm. That blood is shed and that mercy seat is looking for you to speak over it and, and to approach God through that so that you can receive mercy and you can receive grace to help you in your time of need. Whatever your need is, it's you have that available to you. Amen. That's all that's there in the throne of heaven is mercy, folks. There's no judgment there. Amen. Now, now, when people die outside of God's covenant, they're judged already. My goodness, you know, you you know, people will say things like, "Christians are always judging me." No, that's God doing that. You just blame that on us, huh? We don't judge anybody. We don't have the power to. Now, we can not like you, say things about you, and say you ain't gonna never amount to nothing. But you're not. <laughs> that don't mean nothing. Because the judge is the one who sits on the throne. We don't sit on a throne no more. I mean, anywhere. We we just looking for something to say. You know, people that say that kind of stuff. But we're not judging anybody. You're 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 the conviction of God is judging you. If you're wrong and you're in sin, that's what's going on. Amen. You're being judged. You're judged already because you're not obeying God. So the sin offering uh, satisfied. God's anger against sin. So he's not angry about it anymore, folks. Amen. He's, he's apart from people and that allows them to feel the anger of God. Amen. When you're distanced from God, you're distant and you will feel all the negative responses that come out of holiness. Amen. You'll feel them all. 
You'll feel remorse. You'll feel shame. You'll feel guilt. You'll feel all of those things. Amen. That that doesn't mean that there's no way back for you. Amen. God is just waiting for one of his kids to come and, and bring you the good news. That's why the gospel's good news. It gets you out the hot seat. Amen. Propitiation re- refers to appeasement. That God is satisfied. He is pleased that the total payment has been made. For your sin, for the sin of the whole world, Jesus sprinkled the mercy seat with his own blood that was never done by a priest before, amen, nor after. So when he came in and and sprinkled his own blood, the father was satisfied and invited the son to sit down, amen, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool, amen. And if there's anything that Jesus is still anticipating, that is for his children, the the children of God, to go forth and manifest his glory, manifest his goodness. Amen. How do we do that? Well, everybody went out and did it yesterday. Amen. Will you tell somebody, come here, let me pray for you. God wants you well. As you're manifesting his glory. You know, you know, people read that there's a scripture in Romans where it says creation groans waiting for the manifestation of the sons. They're not waiting. We're here. If we're waiting, we're waiting in vain because God has released us to go forth and tell the good news. You just need to pray and ask God to open a door for you. <laughs> this is a whole nother story. You understand what I'm saying? But if you're not spreading the good news, it's because you just made a decision not to or just got comfortable not doing it as much. Amen. And so we need to stay stirred up. We need to stay encouraged to, to, but we manifest all the time, folks, through the Holy Spirit. You don't manifest on your own. Amen. The, the, the first Corinthians, I forget which one it is, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I think it might be 10. I know 13 is the love chapter, but it might be 10. Where he talks about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So the Holy Spirit just wants to manifest through us. We need to get enough experience and acquaintance with him, spend enough time with him in the word. To work it out how he's going to manifest. Amen. And anticipate him opening doors for us and using us. Whenever. Amen. Whenever you get an opportunity. You know sometimes the the enemy will limit our opportunities to, to manifest. Or allow the Holy Spirit to manifest his goodness through us. And it's just a plant. You know it's just a, a, a strategy of the enemy. You know, you'll, you'll be real comfortable doing, going your shopping and doing this and doing that. And then all of a sudden you're not feeling well, you can't get out. Well, he does that to keep you from manifesting the Holy Spirit's glory through you. Amen. And so we have to, and to get it, he wants to get us comfortable in not doing the work that God has left us here to do. You go for three or four days without witnessing to somebody or sharing the goodness of God. It can kind of get to be a, a little habit. You know, you won't, it won't disturb you that you're not doing it. Amen. And so we, we manifest, uh, his power all the time. 
we just need to train ourselves to do it like a job, you know, more open doors, look for open doors. You know, I don't look for open doors anymore. I just stick my foot in there and dare the devil to step on my corns. You know what I'm saying? You just, so after a while, you just know how to do it. But I do know I need to do it more frequently because there are many people that I pass by that really need the Lord that I don't take the time to stop and pull over and say, God, what can I do for this person? What can I do to bless this person? What can I do? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the sons and daughters of God manifesting his goodness and his glory. You know, you give somebody a a tip when you're out. So God knows how to tell them he loves them through your tip or through whatever it is that that you do. He knows how to speak to them. But you got to open your heart to be able to do those things. But I used to read that scripture like, oh boy, we what's holding us back? We got to manifest. And God said, you do that. Whenever you obey me, you do that. Amen. That scripture was written went to a New Testament church that was just getting started. Amen. So time was different then. Since then, there have been tons of people who have seen the glory of God and manifested the glory of God. And so we, we need to understand that there's no wait. You know, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. God can do these things at any time he gets somebody to yield to him. So Jesus went into the Holy of Holies in, in, in heaven. He sprinkled the mercy seat with his own blood. Amen. So the sacrifice, we have a sacrifice that was both dead and alive. This is the only time that's been done. He was a dead sacrifice who died and now he's alive. So he lives as a living sacrifice. And what did the living sacrifices do under the old covenant? Living sacrifice. Romans tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Well, the living sacrifice was there to work. You know, if a person was wanted to give a a gift to the, the priesthood, they would loan their animal to them and they would use that animal. You need animals to haul stuff back and forth, to bring other sacrifices and supplies back. You always need animals to work for you. So the living sacrifice, that's what Jesus is now. He is our living sacrifice. And his sacrifice is that he lives to make intercession for us. So intercession really is a sacrifice. Praying for somebody else, that's not for you. So anytime you give unto somebody else's life, that is a sacrifice. Now, it's not like we think of sacrifice. Oh, it's so hard. And it's, you know, it's, it's not no drama. Okay. Just the fact that you are not doing something in pursuit of your own good makes it a sacrifice. You are slaughtering your flesh for any joy, any pleasure, anything in this. The only thing you get out of it is peace with God that you did his will. And so Jesus is our living sacrifice who labors all the time making intercession for us according to the will of the Father. 
So the Father works, He works, the Holy Spirit works, they expect us to work too. Amen? So, so Jesus is there to intercept our prayers and make them glorious prayers. Make them acceptable at the throne room. Make them the type of prayers that will get answered. He empowers them for us and intercepts them. How do you think you can pray a prayer and, and be on your last leg and be upset and be all those things and then God answers it for you? And then you go and, and get your little, your little teaching out, seven steps to answer prayer by pastor so and so, and you didn't do none of that stuff. If we didn't have him up there living as a living sacrifice, he gets nothing out of this but the contentment of knowing that he helps us. That's what he's there for. And and I believe we need to rely more on that aspect of his. And it's nothing wrong with studying and listening to people who have knowledge about these things and they're giving you the word and helping you. But at the end of the day, he is your intercessor. He is the one who goes to bat for you, who can bring home the goods every single time without fail. Amen. You know, all these people have done these teachings. They've done the best they can. They've gone on to glory, but he's still sitting up there. Amen. Waiting. To make intercession for us. Amen. And that's that's the way he serves his bride right now. Is he prays for us. Through us. Helping us. Putting together them raggedy prayers of ours sometimes. That I'm going to quit. And then all of a sudden something shows up. You know. Maybe God was saying I'm glad you quit. So you can get out my way. You understand what I'm saying. You don't know how that transpired. You just know it happened. (laughs) Amen. So it's just, sometimes you got to take it and run like a thief. Amen. You got what you needed from God. Amen. So, so, um, he is our propitiation. Uh, in other words, he is our, our mercy seat. Uh, when you confess your sins, he has made an atonement for you. So your sins are forgiven where, uh, <clears throat> The blood was applied over do- doorposts for a one-time atonement, but he lives forever to make intercession for us. Amen? Amen. The obedience <clears throat> for his blood propitiation is in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, we know the scripture. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That cleansing is very important. You know, Israel, their sins were covered, but they were never cleansed. They were never purged. So they went right back and sinning again. We actually don't have to live like that. Amen. You can can <laughs> stop. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You can stop faster than you think you can sometimes. Amen. So if if we make it an automatic response to confess when we know we're apart from God you get that irritation inside of you and you get that unsettledness the Holy Spirit's telling you something's not right you know you need to say well Lord I'm so sorry but I you know I I see what I did I know what I did Lord and you know whatever it is just get it out the way 
You know, some people, right? I didn't do nothing. And I, well, I didn't mean it. Just slap yourself. When you find yourself, see, just, just do slap yourself. Don't wait for God to slap you. Just slap yourself. You understand what I'm saying? And come out of it. Because there's a, a, a there's a blessing to being quick to do certain things to get back in right standing with God. You know, that the Bible says that if you, if you pay your vows, you can decree a thing. Amen. And it'll be established. You know, your word begins to be more powerful to establish righteousness in your life. You can, if, if, when it says pay your vows, it just means do what is in your heart to do. Don't lie to yourself on the inside. You know, if you say to yourself, God, I, I want to be a consistent giver, you know, show me how much to give. And you do that all the time. God says, I'll put such integrity on your words that you can decree a thing and it will be yours. You understand what I'm saying? He, it, It's like right now with most of us in, in many things, we have to keep a good confession about something. And then eventually it comes to pass. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is saying this. If if you have that kind of integrity, if I can trust you, if you tell me, God, just quicken to me when I'm I'm stepping out of line and I'll confess and ask your forgiveness and I'll get right back in line with you. He says, if you'll do that for me consistently, I will put such power on your words. You won't have to sit up and confess and wonder, am I confessing enough? And when is it going to happen? And all that. He said, you will have these things immediately. You'll decree a thing and it'll be established. In other words, you won't have to doubt if you're doing this enough or that enough or what enough. Once you decree it, it's established and you don't waver from it. Amen. That's a wonderful, wonderful way to live. I'm not there. I can be there in some things, but it's a wonderful way to live to know that God would trust you. You live close enough to him that he trusts you, that your words become established in your life and the enemy can't move you off of those things. Like when you when you sit down to do something for God, you tell God, God, I want to do this, that, and the other. I want to make some changes in my home. I want to uh, make some repairs or something like that. And, and Father, I thank you that, that you've already set aside what it is. Don't worry about what. You don't have a worry. Father, I think you've already set aside what I need. And I'm not going to worry about it. You just show me where it is. And you know, and, and you can even put yourself on a schedule. God, by so-and-so date, I'd like to have this done. I'd like to. And begin to decree your own life and not be wondering, well, when is it going to come? And what did I do? And why is this late? And uh, He doesn't want us to live like that. But you got to give. you got to sow that integrity first before him, before you can see that kind of return. He, you got to be trustworthy. He can pay us in advance many times if he knows he can count on us to do some stuff when we get to the point of having to do it. That's the way he wants to live with us. That he, he says, I know what they're going to do. They always put me first. They always come to me and find out how to do this. So I'm going to advance them this, that, and the other. I'm going to bless them with this, that, and the other. And you can begin to decree 
that that you're going to do certain things and it gets established in your life. It doesn't waver at all. And I'm not talking about these simple things that you can do and you got enough money to do them. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about things that are essential to your life that will make a difference in your life. I'm talking about being able to go to God all the time and, and have things established in your life where you're not wavering. You don't, don't wonder when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, if it's late, if it's on time. He wants us to live, you know, carefree in abundance. And all the things that, that we have. Abundance all the time. Amen? Amen. So anyway, in First John 1, 9, is that where I want to be? Is there any such thing? Yes. He says, it says in verse 8, well, I'm going to go back up here. It says, um, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's what I was just speaking about. Integrity. Being a person that consistently obeys God. That's what you want to be. If we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that word cleanse really means to remove all admixture, to purify. In other words, you don't have some, some thoughts lurking in your mind to do wrong or to try to get away with something or God understands, or you can do a little bit of this. Everybody does so-and-so. You don't have that. That's admixture. So when God, when you confess your sins, he purifies you of all admixture. It means also to be literally or ceremonially clean or spiritually clean. It means a clean spirit, clean soul, and clean body. In other words, your thoughts are cleansed. As well as you, you know, your spirit is cleansed, but your thoughts are cleansed and your body goes along with that. To purify also means to abstain in the future from wrongdoing. So, you know, when you confess your sins to God, you're not just trying to get forgiven this one time and go back and have fun again. You are that, that blood restrains you from wrongdoing. It develops your conscience to a higher level where you understand that certain things are across the line and certain things are in the line. Amen. And so that's that's the mind of Christ. Jesus had in his mind to only obey the Father, to do whatever the Father. The mind of Christ doesn't want to take the easy way out or the slick way out. Or the way where you don't have to be honest with somebody or the way you don't have to confess to somebody or ask their pardon or ask or apologize to people. That's not the mind of Christ. Amen. His mind wants to do what's right all times. And he shed his blood to cleanse us from the desire to do anything but what's right. Amen. The mind of the purify also means to be free from guilt and shame. It gives us boldness. And access to the holy place. 
and we are not afraid to enter in. We know that we belong. The blood gives you that knowing that God loves you. He wants you there. He expects you all of the above. The blood does that, folks. It annihilates. You know, there are people that, that, that say, I can't quit this or I can't stop that. They got to pause. They don't stop here long enough to find out what they have. See, you got stuff. You're not letting it work for you. If you're defeated on anything, you've got stuff available to you and you you don't know how to let it work for you. You're not putting it all together so that it does work for you. Amen. And you need to learn how to get it to work for you. I remember I tell this testimony sometimes. Joyce Meyer was kind of stuck in a situation where uh, she she had had uh, had a, a I guess controversy with a church she belonged to this church at one time she started her ministry there and um, her ministry they threw her out of the church because she just she's preaching things they didn't agree with it was you know old-fashioned denominational church and and so anyway over the years her ministry grew and she heard that they were giving uh having a fundraiser they wanted to repair the church and she wanted to give an offering you know she sent the money over they sent it back and told her they didn't want her money, you know, no thank you or whatever they said. But, you know, it was an insult to her. She was offended by it. And, and so she said that that a couple of years later, I guess, she got somebody called on her at her office or secretary, told her it was the pastor and some administrators from that church. And they asked to speak to her. And she said, I didn't realize how mad I still was. <laughs> She was like a, she was on fire. Amen. And she said she got on her knees under her desk and asked God. She said, God, if your blood is real, it's going to have to change me like that. She said, because these people have done so much wrong to me. She said, I didn't realize. And see, this is why God does things like this to expose. Okay, Joyce, you out there preaching, you doing this, you doing that. You got to get right, girl. You understand what I'm saying? And she said that God touched her. She said all that anger left, all that fear and in retaliation, all that stuff left her. And she told us, she said, well, you can let them in now and let them in. And she said those people came in. They fellowshiped together, talked about old times. They apologized. She apologized. Every It was all good. That's how God wants it. That's why the blood was shed. His blood was shed for reconciling hearts and people and we not live in this flesh, letting the flesh dictate everything all the time. And I know we all have feelings we have, but we got to let them go. We've got so much more going for us. It's, it's a sin for us not to let, I mean, for real, it is for us not to let things go and reconcile because there's so much power in his blood so much that we haven't even tapped into. There's much more for us. Amen. All right. Why don't we stop? Father, we love you and we thank you for giving us your word, giving us understanding of this great covenant that we have. It's a blessing covenant. It's a wonderful covenant. And we honor you, Lord, and we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Praise God.